the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their, their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At the kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up every oh, they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind to go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes, then to see evil, and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors, and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind, mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on a tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. This is the word of the Lord. God. Uh, well, hello, everyone. Um, great to see you uh, online this morning. Um, uh, I'm missing uh, everyone at church and uh, really excited that uh, from next week we're going to be slowly um, making our way back physically, uh, but more of that a little bit later on. Uh, but it's great that you can uh, join us this morning. And uh, if you are new or uh, fairly new to our church, then uh, it's great to see you as well. Um, I'm going to lead us in prayer. And then uh, it'll be great if you can have uh, Habakkuk chapter one open in front of you. And uh, we'll have a look at this part of God's word together. Uh, our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for... Uh, uh, this morning. Uh, thank you that your mercies to us are new every morning and uh, we can experience uh, so much of your goodness in uh, the little things uh, as well as the big things in life. 
And uh, we thank you, Father, for this opportunity to um, read your word and to think deeply about uh, what uh, you have to say to us. And so please, Father, we ask that you would give us understanding, uh, that your spirit would be our teacher this morning, uh, and that we might um, leave today uh, not having simply heard the words of men, but having heard your uh, mighty and wonderful voice to us. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, well friends, uh, where were you on the 11th of September, 2011? Uh, people often say you always remember where, where you were or where you are when uh, tragic things uh, happen in this world, don't they? And so uh, where were you on the 11th of September, 2011, on that horrific day when two planes were hijacked and flown into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center in New York City? Uh, on that morning, I happened to be waiting for a flight in an airport of all places, uh, on a, a flight on a similar sized plane uh, going from Brisbane to Sydney. Uh, and I tell you, I was filled with uh, dread and fear. But uh, I clearly remember the disturbing images of those two planes crashing into the Twin Towers. I remember the image of distraught bystanders as they couldn't fathom what was happening. And I remember listening to the address by the President of the United States, uh, George Bush, where the only word he could think of to describe what was happening was the word evil. It's true that evil things happen in our world, isn't it? Uh, now, I'm guessing that for many of us, we haven't yet experienced firsthand something that we would describe as great evil. Uh, I think I'm in that category as well. And so any talk of evil is in some ways uh, theoretical to me. But I know that there are some of you here this morning who have experienced unspeakable evil at the hands of others, which has affected you deeply. And any talk of evil is never um, talk which is at arm's length for you. It's something deeply distressing to you, and perhaps you've even questioned God about why he would allow such evil things to happen, not only in this world, but in your life. Now, this morning, we're going to begin a new series uh, looking at the book of Habakkuk, as, uh, as we've seen. And uh, Habakkuk is an Old Testament prophet who was uh, no stranger to evil. Uh, if you have a look at the handout that I've given you, um, and uh, it's also coming up on the screen, uh, you can see a timeline of uh, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, after the time of King David and uh, King Solomon that you see sort of towards the top of that diagram, you can see that the, the kingdom of Israel splits into, into two with uh, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom and the two tribes of the southern kingdom, uh, including the, the important tribe of Judah. Uh, in 722 BC, uh, you can see there that the northern kingdom of Israel is destroyed by the nation of Assyria and effectively comes to an end. But after this time, 
the nation of Babylon becomes the next world superpower and eventually destroys the southern kingdom of Israel and proceeds to carry the people of Jerusalem into exile uh, in two steps, uh, firstly in 597 BC and then again in 586 BC. Uh, history lesson over. But uh, why is all this important? Well, it's important because Habakkuk lived and prophesied just before the exile into Babylon. Uh, you can see uh, there in the diagram that I've marked it as the period just after the prophet Jeremiah, but before the exile into Babylon. In other words, um, Habakkuk lived during a time when the southern kingdom of Israel was ruled by evil kings and when the people themselves were behaving in evil ways and when the evil nation of Babylon was fast becoming the superpower of, of the day. And so Habakkuk was no stranger to evil. But you can also see that not, not you can also see there that not much is known about the person of Habakkuk himself. Uh, We're not given much detail uh, about his life in the first chapter or uh, throughout the book. But what we do know is that the book of Habakkuk is a written account of something that Habakkuk saw from God. Um, in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. And so the important thing about Habakkuk is not who he was as a person, but the message that he saw and received from God, which he's going to tell us in this book. Uh, now, you can see there that one of the interesting things about the book of Habakkuk is that it, it's really a dialogue between uh, uh, Habakkuk and God himself. And so the book begins with Habakkuk bringing a complaint against God. You can see it there in verse 2, can't you, uh, where he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry out for help? Uh, the topic of Habakkuk's complaint is fairly easy to see. Uh, you can see uh, there in the first few verses that he complains about the evil that he sees around him. And so in verse 2, he speaks about the violence of people. In verse 3, he speaks about the iniquity and the wrongdoing and destruction and strife and contention of people. And in verse 4, he speaks about the injustice and the wickedness that he sees in the people around him. Uh, but notice that the thing that causes Habakkuk to complain is that while he sees such evil around him, God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. Uh, that's what makes Habakkuk cry out in anguish, you see. He says that God is deaf to his cries about evil. Uh, you will not hear, he says in verse 2. Uh, it seems that God is powerless to do anything about evil. You will not save, he says again in verse 2. It seems that God is lazy in, in dealing with evil. But why do you idly look at wrong, he says in, in, in verse 3. You and I are no strangers to evil, are we? I mean, we only need to turn on the evening news. Uh, to see such things are part of the, the very world that we live in. 
Uh, we see violence in, in bloody wars that happen all around the world. We see violence in murder. We see violence in rape. We see violence in domestic abuse. We see violence all the time, not to mention the iniquity and destruction and strife and contention and injustice and wickedness and all those words that we see here in Habakkuk. But here's the thing, friends. Did you notice that the evil which Habakkuk speaks about here is not simply the evil of the world in general, but the evil of God's very own people who live in Judah and in Jerusalem. For notice that Habakkuk speaks about the law, which was not given to the nations in general, but to the people of Israel as God's people. Now you can see it there in verse 4, which says, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. The word for paralyzed there is simply the word numb. Um, I don't know whether you've been to the dentist recently. Hands up if you've been to the dentist recently. Might be some of us. Uh, but a few weeks ago, I went to the, I went to the dentist uh, to get my wisdom teeth out. And uh, the very kind dentist man uh, gave me an injection to numb my mouth so that I would not feel any pain. Uh, but the problem was that such numbness made, actually made my mouth useless. I couldn't eat, I couldn't talk, I couldn't laugh, uh, I couldn't do anything with my mouth. And that, that's what Habakkuk is saying here. He's saying that the law had become useless. No, it was the very law of God that should have transformed God's people into those who loved God and those who loved their neighbours in such a way that they would become a light to the nations around them. But the anguish that Habakkuk feels here is that when he looks around at God's people, he sees nothing but violence and injustice and wickedness, just like the, the nations around them. And so he cries out to God to do something about the, this problem of evil amongst God's people themselves. And have you ever felt like this before? Perhaps you felt this as you've seen scandal after scandal after scandal among Christian leaders that you know and have perhaps respected, which leaves a stain on Christianity in the eyes of the world. Perhaps you felt this as you've seen people around you who claim to be Christian but who unrepentantly are sexually immoral or greedy or fudge their tax returns in ways that are no different to the rest of the world. Perhaps you and I have also cried out to God and thought, why does God's word seem to be so numb and useless in the lives of people who claim to be God's people around us? Have we ever felt like this before? Perhaps we've even complained to God about the people that we see around us. And so uh, how does God answer Habakkuk's complaint? Well, in what follows, God says that he will most certainly do something about the evil that he sees amongst his very own people. But what he will do is something that is utterly shocking beyond belief. 
Uh, you can see it there in verse 5 where God says these words. Uh, verse 5 is, is an important verse uh, where God says, look, upon, uh, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. You see, what God says here is that he is about to do something about the evil that he sees in his own people. But the thing that he will do will cause wonder and astonishment and disbelief because it is so shocking. What is it that God is going to do that is so shocking? Well, there is a clue there in verse 5 because notice that God invites Habakkuk to look among the nations. Why does he do that? Well, if you read on, it's because God is going to use one of the most evil nations on the planet at that time, the evil nation of Babylon, otherwise known as the Chaldeans, as we saw uh, earlier, in order to punish his very own people for their sin and iniquity and wickedness. In other words, friends, the, the shock is not so much that God is going to punish evil, but the shock is that he's going to do it by using a people who are even more evil than Israel themselves. But what were the Babylonians like? Well, you just have to read through what God says here to see what they were like, huh? uh, don't you? Uh, for example, you can see there that they were a people who were impatient to conquer the world. Uh, in verse 6, they are described as a bitter and hasty nation and a people who march through the earth, seizing dwellings not their own. In verse 9, they are described as a people who gather captives like sand. That they uh, were a people with frightening military strength and who were ruthless with uh, the people that they conquered. In verse 8, their horses are swifter than leopards. Their horsemen are unrelenting in pressing on to conquer more and more people. In verse 9, they are violent in their me methods. I, I suppose you could say that they, they weren't a nation who adhered to the UN rules about warfare. They just simply did what they liked. They are arrogant. Uh, in verse 7, they are described as people whose justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Because they are really, uh, they really are a people who ha have no regard for other laws. They are a law unto themselves. In verse ten, they scoff in the face of kings and rulers before ruthlessly taking their land. But in verse eleven, it's it's not simply that they are arrogant towards other people and kings and rulers, but they are arrogant towards God Himself, for they are guilty men. Notice before God. And they are a people who worship not Yahweh, the God of Israel, but they are people who worship their own might and their own strength. I just want you to um, pause and, and see the shocking nature of what God really is saying here. You know, it's a bit like us complaining to God that we see so much uh, evil and um, wickedness in the church around us, and, and then God saying to us that he will deal with it by bringing in someone like Hitler and the Nazi army to destroy everything. 
and to massacre his very own people. In some ways, justice is actually being done here, isn't it? I don't know whether you picked it up, but God's judgment here on the evil of his own people is just because the punishment fits the crime. You know, God's people were guilty of violence, as we saw. And so God says that he will bring the violence of the Babylonians as a way to judge them. God's people were guilty of injustice. And so God says that he will bring the Babylonians so that his people would really know what injustice looked like. God's people were guilty of arrogance. And God says, I'm going to bring the most arrogant nation on earth to destroy you. And so the really shocking thing is not so much that God judges the evil of his people, but that he uses an even more evil people to carry out his plans and his purposes. But here's the wonderful thing, friends. Did you notice that God does not rebuke in his answer to Habakkuk? God does not rebuke Habakkuk's complaint itself. He does not rebuke Habakkuk for complaining to him when he does not understand what God is doing. Rather, we see a God who is willing to dialogue with Habakkuk when he is confused and perplexed and puzzled by the things that God is doing or not doing, even if God's plans are sometimes hard to hear. You know, there is no other supposed God in any other religion in this world who invites their people to bring their confusion and perplexity and even complaints to them. Friends, we have a God who is big enough to deal with our questions and to deal with our confusions and even complaints if we bring these things to him in faith. So if you are going through times when you have questions or perplexities or complaints or you don't understand what God is doing in this world or why he's doing certain things in this world, will you take these things to God? Will you ask for answers from God? Or he is a God who is big enough to handle our anguished questions. And so uh, God is going to judge the evil of his very own people by using an even more evil nation in the Babylonians. But in the rest of our passage this morning, you can see that he raised that, that this actually raises even more questions in Habakkuk's mind. Uh, for example, one question that is clearly on his mind is, how can a holy God tolerate an evil people like the Babylonians and use them for his purposes. And that's why he says in verse 13, these words, he says, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors like the Babylonians and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Later. Another question that is on Habakkuk's mind is, how can a God who is powerful beyond measure 
allow his very own people to simply be humiliated and to die. In verse 14, he says that although God is the powerful creator of all things, it seems like he has just created people to be like fish who die or bugs who are squashed and who have no dignity. Uh, in verse 15, he refers to the way the Babylonians humiliated and killed the people they conquered, like fish dragged up with a hook or a net so that they could live in luxury and enjoy rich food for themselves. You know, the Babylonians were known to be so savage a people that uh, you know when they captured captives, they used to put a, a hook through their mouths and tie them up to each other so that if they ran away, they would rip their mouth off. Incidentally, the image of fishing is often an image of judgment in the scriptures. And so you know that uh, famous passage where Jesus says to his disciples that he will make them fishers of men? Well, it's true that on the one hand, he's talking about his disciples uh, catching people for salvation. But you've got to understand that the gospel is not a neutral thing. If you reject it, you will end up like one of those fish who are dragged up uh, because they have been hooked uh, as a judgment on you. But you see, friends, uh, the existence of evil in this world, uh, I hope you can see, actually poses more problems for, for the person who believes in the God of the Bible than those who do not believe in the existence of God at all, don't you think? For if there is no God, why would you expect the world to be any different? If the world is simply here by accident and it's all just a matter of the survival of the fittest, why should we be surprised by evil or expect it to be any other way? Why would you even call something evil in the first place? Which is a moral judgment, isn't it? But if you are a Christian person, then you believe in a God who is holy and who cannot tolerate evil. And if you are a Christian person, then you believe in a God who is so powerful that he can actually do something about the evil that is in this world. And so how can God allow such evil to exist in this world? Is the anguished cry of Christians and uh, God's people. Uh, through the ages. And yet the one thing I want you to notice here, friends, is the faith of Habakkuk. Uh, we've already seen that he takes his complaints to God in prayer, which is itself an act of faith. But notice in verse 12 that he expresses confidence that because of God's covenant promises, that will not change from everlasting to everlasting, those who belong to God will not die. And he says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. And it is Habakkuk expressing his faith that even though they die at the hands of the Babylonians, yet they shall live. Or have a look further down at chapter 2, verse 1, where Habakkuk expresses his faith by saying, 
that he will patiently wait for God to answer the questions that he has, uh, that he has. He says, uh, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what God will say to me. And I will answer concerning my complaint. How many of you I know have experienced real evil in your lives and have perhaps wondered how a holy and powerful God could allow such things to happen to you? Now, some of you are suffering terribly now from things that have happened to you in the past. And you might be wondering, how can the God that I believe in allow such things to happen to me? Well, if that's you this morning, then the challenge of this part of God's word is, uh, will you have faith in God? Will you trust him? Will you be like Habakkuk, who brought his pain and his confusion and complaints to God, even if, even when he didn't understand everything that was going on? It's so easy to be bitter and to turn away from God when we don't understand everything he's doing in this world and in our lives, isn't it? But God says here, turn to me. Trust me, have faith in me, and understand that one day you will see the answers. You will see the wisdom and goodness and rightness of the things that I am doing and that I will do. Friends, uh, let me finish up. One thing that we have seen very clearly in this part of Habakkuk is Habakkuk's godly dis desire to see God destroying evil in this world. But one thing that Habakkuk could not see was that by asking God to destroy evil in this world, he was really asking God to destroy him. Now, you might have heard the well-known story of the Times newspaper in London posing a question to its readers. Uh, the question was, what is wrong with the world today? It was published in the paper and responses were invited from the public. Uh, no doubt the usual responses were received. Um, you know, what, what's wrong with the world today? Well, it's war or greed or lack of love or lack of understanding. But the story goes that the great Christian writer G.K. Chesterton wrote a letter of response to the paper, which simply said these words. This is what it said in his letter. Dear sirs, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. You see what he's saying? He's saying what is wrong with the world today is not simply the evil that you and I see out there, but the evil that we have in ourselves. You know, I can complain to God about the violence that I see in people out there, but what about the violence that is in my own heart, that is expressed in the things that I've done or I've said to people or even thought about in my life? I can complain to God about the injustice 
that I see in people out there. But what about the lies and deception and injustice and prejudice of my own heart in the way that I treat other people, in the way that I break laws like the law of speeding when it suits me? I can complain about God, about the greed and idolatry of others, but what about the greed and idolatry that I so often excuse in myself? You see, you've got to be very careful about what you ask for from God, don't you? For to ask him to destroy evil is to ask him to destroy you and me. Now, it's striking that about 600 years after Habakkuk wrote uh, his prophecy, we see in the New Testament that Habakkuk is quoted by the Apostle Paul in uh, Acts chapter 17 during a sermon that uh, Paul preaches to the Jews in a place called Antioch in Pisidia. Uh, this is the passage that uh, Sherman read out for us earlier. And specifically in Acts chapter 13, he quotes Habakkuk uh, chapter 1 verse 5, where God tells Habakkuk that he is going to do something shocking. Remember that verse? And yet in Acts chapter 13, uh, the Apostle Paul applies this very verse not to what the Babylonians will do to his people, but in what God does in sending Jesus to die on the cross and rise again. For just as in Habakkuk's time, God used the evil nation of Babylon to judge the evil of his own people, well, at the cross, God uses evil people, the religious leaders of Israel, the crowds who turned on Jesus, Pontius Pilate, the Roman soldiers who put Jesus to death. He uses evil men to judge the evil of his own people. Only at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, the punishment for our evil is not borne by us, but by Jesus as he dies in our place, so that we who have faith in him might be forgiven. But not only that, Jesus also rises from the dead so that those who have faith in him can be the ones who say, though I die, yet shall I live. So if you are here this morning and you have put your faith or your trust in the death of Jesus for you, and you have crowned Jesus to be the king of your life, then will you look and see the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and be full of wonder and astonishment and disbelief in a good way that God would do this for you? For this was the plan of God all along. This was the plan that Habakkuk couldn't see clearly, but which we can now see as the wise and gracious and merciful plan of God to save those who are evil as we look back at the cross. But if you are here this morning and are yet to respond to Jesus by putting your trust in him and crowning him as the king of your life, then I want you to see that what the Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 13 is actually a warning against those who scoff at 
the things that God has done, the wonderful works that God has done at the cross. Turn your back on God's work. Turn your back on Jesus and you will perish, says God. What the death and resurrection of Jesus shows is that evil has been defeated and one day Jesus will return to rid this, this world of evil forever. So if your sins have not been forgiven by Jesus at the cross, then you will be judged on that last day. And so turn to Jesus today and do not perish on that day when Jesus comes again. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your wonderful character. We thank you that you are a holy God who cannot tolerate evil. And we thank you that you are an almighty God who is powerful to accomplish all things. But we thank you also that you are a God who is ever so patient. And even in Habakkuk's day, had plans to send your son into this world so that he might die on the cross for your people in a way that brings not only justice or judgment, but also mercy to those who trust in him. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you would indeed help us to look and see the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ afresh, which was always your plan to save, and that we would be filled with wonder and astonishment and amazement at your work of wisdom and kindness and tender-heartedness towards evil people like us. Uh, but Father, um, our hearts also cry out at the state of our world, which, like in Habakkuk's time, is so full of evil. And so whilst we pray that many in this world will turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for mercy, we also pray for your son to return that evil will be judged and uh, that so that evil uh, will be judged and that this world will give way to the new creation where Jesus himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death and mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.